Swedish group once sang that I don't want to talk about the things we've gone through. Well, that wouldn't make a great podcast interview. And luckily, my guest this week, Stephen Mowbray, was still free and took a chance on me. Stephen talks about starting out at Channel 4 in the UK, his long career at SVT in Sweden, and the changing TV landscape in the Nordics. Here comes Pod. Here we go again. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the pod. Thanks, Danny. It's good to see you again. Great to have you on board. I always like to start the podcast with a, a fun question just to get the creative juices going. And uh, you recently announced that you were leaving SVT after a long time and that you were moving on to Nent. And it made me think about what a leaving party might uh, involve. Hypothetically, if you could pick one act to perform at your leaving party for SVT, which of the following would you choose? Roxette, Aha, Wigfield, Lordy, or right. Bjork? Ooh, it would de- definitely have to be Aha. And is that because it uh, is their musical quality or it reminds you of a certain era? Yeah, you know, the old, old guys like me, we love the 80s. So uh, a bit of Aha is, is always good. Well, I picked that combination and you probably guessed what that combination represents because they're all from different Nordic countries. Nordic, so, I, I got that, yes. Yes. That points to some of the themes that we'll, uh, we'll address during the course of the chat, particularly the idea that the Nordics are so monolithic, which I think is, is clearly not the case. I, I, I used to think of them as one country as well. But when you live here... Each has their own character and taste and ideas. I would say we were cousins rather than brothers and sisters. To kick off, how yeah. did you get started in TV? Was that something that you were always fascinated by or did it just happen? Even for, from an early age, I, I was fascinated. I, I always loved television and uh, I studied media and communication and immediately was lucky enough to get a job with the BBC in Glasgow. They had a, had a scheme at that time called attachments. So I was sent uh, from Glasgow to London. And after about a year and a half, they, they wanted me back in Glasgow. But I had, I had I'd been smitten by the, the, the lure of, of London. And at the same time, uh, Channel 4, which had re- recently uh, started, were looking for staff. So I, I jumped across to Channel 4. And what were you doing at Channel 4 in those early days? I, I started off working with rights. They had a team that was, because everything was being produced by, by independent producers. So we had to make sure that the rights, uh, the third party rights in their shows were cleared. So that, that's how I, I got into the international side of things. And what was Channel 4 like in the 1980s? Because it was a very different media landscape then. It was essentially a four channel UK market. Sky wasn't a presence. Multi-channel wasn't really a presence until really towards the end of the decade. So uh, it must have been a fascinating time to be there really in the early days of this uh, new upstart channel. It really was an amazing place to be. It was almost utopian because you were surrounded by like-minded people, very creative. And well, I'm not saying that I'm creative and smart, but 
the people I was working with were creative and smart, and we were daring to challenge the status quo in almost everything we did, from news all the way through to current affairs to uh, entertainment. Everything was done in a, in a different way. I look back at it with respect and, and very fondly. And then you made the move to the Nordics. Well, what happened was I, I met my wife who was working for Swedish television, uh, TV4. And we started dating and flying up and down on the weekends. And then, then she moved to London. And then when we were expecting our first kid, then it was like, okay, I'd been at Channel 4 for quite a long time. Let's try something new. So we moved to Sweden. And I, I, to be honest, I didn't really have a, a career plan. And in the early days, things just happened. Companies I worked for went bankrupt. I was called about another job. It, it was kind of out of my hands. Things just happened. But somehow it kind of it had a, a, a trail. And I was helped very much by the, the late, great Anna Vigelius, who was a mentor in, in many respects. She, she took me into her company, K-World, as head of programming. And then some years later, when she was program director at SVT, she was the one who invited me to, to join them as, again. So she has helped me enormously. She sadly passed a couple of years ago. How big a transition was it to move to Sweden just from the point of view of moving to Sweden as opposed to um, purely from a business point of view? Crazy. I got a new flat. I got a baby. I got a new job, a new language, all in the same month. So it, it, was, it was an enormous um, change. And in the beginning, the, the language is, is the biggest hurdle, I guess, because even if people speak fantastic English, they prefer not to. So they, they would begin uh, in English. And then the, the, if you were at a dinner or something, it would, it would quickly segue into Swedish. So that, that was so I made an effort quite early to, to learn Swedish. And I think that, that helped prepare me for, for work and, and socially. So you joined SVT in 2008 and ultimately ended up focusing on acquisitions. And I was reading that it's over 3,000 hours of content that fall under the remit, which is a lot. How do you manage acquiring so much content each year? Well, uh, we have four genre bosses for film, factual, uh, fiction and kids. Uh, And each of them has a a small team under them uh, of buyers. So that, that's how it's broken down. We do a lot of versioning. So if you take in, particularly the, the factual and the kids department, they, they work very much with making things look and feel as Swedish as possible. So we, we take in a, a show from, a natural history show from, from the UK, then we will revoice it. So unfortunately, Attenborough's voice is rarely heard here, but we, but we have uh, Henrik Ekman, who is the kind of voice of, of uh, Attenborough, and we change all of all of the, the signage and everything. So it, it feels there's a lot of shows which go out on SVT that people don't even associate with being acquired. And then there's film and, and, and fiction that I, I work closely with, and, and there it's just, it's just uh, sub, subtitling. But we're buying, I mean, I, I buy series and we, we have four to 500 hours a year. There's a lot. How does public service broadcasting in Sweden compare with the UK? I would, I would say the model ha- has always been the BBC for, for many, many years, until a couple of years ago. It, it was a license. It's now paid for by tax. There is no advertising. There's no uh, sponsorship. 
which is very much the BBC way of doing things. And, and we, we report to a, a board, which in turn reports to a bigger board, a more politically stable board. So it's, it's, uh, it's very much like the BBC in, in many respects. In some ways, there is a lot of collaboration between different broadcasters within the Nordics. Very much, yeah. We have uh, something called Nordvision, uh, Nord where we, we share programming between the, the companies. Then you may have heard about N12. We share 12 drama productions. Uh, each, each company produces three a year, which is in a central pot. And for a, for a minimal fee, we broadcast shows for, from DR and NRK and Wiley and, and vice versa. So the, we, we work quite closely. And that, then I think from an acquisition perspective, we got a lot closer during the pandemic. Before Corona, we, we would meet with our acquisition counterparts around the, the big markets, Mitcom, BBC Showcase. Now we have a call pretty much every week where we're sharing ideas, intelligence that, we, that we've heard about. We do a lot of acquisitions together where one of us will lead the, the negotiation on behalf because mo- most of our competition is, is Nordic in its focus. So that, that way, uh, the distributors have one contact representing the, the four countries. That increasing collaboration, is that a reflection as well of the changing market circumstances within the, the Nordic regions? And that is sort of a function of yeah. the evolving US studio strategies and, and the fact that some of the streaming services are now pan-regional. Does that, has that changed the way that you do business? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you have to, it, when the competition is, is Nordic, then you have to react as a Nordic uh, group. It, it would be naive of us to think that a small country like, like uh, Sweden or, or Norway could uh, go up against. I mean, the, 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 the streamers like Apple and, and Amazon, even they're buying Nordic rights now. So it's, it's very, very important that we react uh, as a Nordic group. But going back to that issue that you're cousins rather than brothers and sisters, there must be circumstances where some kind of show or film or whatever it is has more resonance in maybe one or two of the, the markets and then means nothing somewhere else or just doesn't connect. Yeah. And does, does that present issues or is it just going back to... I, I, yeah, I, I would say previously it was much more of an issue, but there's much more pragmatism now. Uh, so I think we we work to get the deal done rather than work to to find problems. I mean, it's very very rare that a show comes along where we're split fifty fifty. But, but uh, I mean, sometimes there'll be one country which is less keen, but for the for the the team, they they will they will throw in. Generally, we we have fairly fairly similar views on, on programming. But but all of us have to be a little bit pragmatic and flexible. Is the UK content in particular really important for you for you at SVT and, and also the others as well? Absolutely. I, I think without doubt the UK is the largest supplier and the most loved source of programming for, for the viewers. British crime is is uh, is always bankable. British content, I think, is actually improving. It's moving forward. It's renewing itself. So I, I think the, the Brits are doing a great job just now. And it's funny you talk about British crime because, of course, Nordic noir in particular has become such an important genre. How does it do domestically? 
Nordic Water that it does amazingly well. Our own produced fiction is is always the most seen programming of the year. So we we do um, a show like Thin Blue Line, which we had earlier this year, topped all of the ratings. But the, the problem is we can't do enough drama. We, it's very, very expensive for a small country, a population of only 10 million. So uh, we, we produce about six or seven drama series per year, but we'd love to, to do much more than that. But at the moment, uh, it's restricted budgets. So we, we have done some co-production in the past, but it's funding a, a co-production partner who doesn't want to, to get into the, the same territory rights-wise. So we work with, with uh, Netflix and Net. But their, their key territories are also Sweden as well. You get to the, a point of, of sharing rights, which is complicated. And you mentioned Nent, and that is your next destination. That's going to be more in the commercial world. Do you think that's going to be a big transition to, to move from the public service mindset back into this big commercial organisation? In a way, uh, commercial television is the easiest to work for because you, you have a very clear goal. You know what you want, that you're selling either advertising or subscriptions. And it's, it's, it's very connected to, a, you know, to, to, to figures that you, you, can, uh, you can respond to. Public service is much more varied. It can be, I mean, we, we produce a lot of shows or buy shows, which we know are not for a wide audience, but a certain audience will, will like them very much. It, it takes me back a bit to Channel 4 days because there they would say that they, they wanted a public which found their favourite show once a week. It wasn't an idea of you should you should watch Channel 4 every night and love everything that we broadcast, but there should be things that you would only get on Channel 4 and, and you, you would love it for that. And public service is a bit like that. We, we go for the wide audience one night and, and much smaller the next is it going to be interesting to work across all of the territories in, in the Nordic? So, yeah, and the core responsibility I have will be Nordic, but I think Nent is a very ambitious company. The idea is that uh, to roll via play out in lots of territories, and that, that will be interesting to find content that, that will have a, an appeal over multi-territory rather than just Swedish or Nordic. So looking back, what series are you most proud of buying uh, or maybe the best deal? Which is the one that you think, yeah, I, I got that right? I mean, when you do my job and you have what, six or seven slots a week, every week, every month, every year, pretty much what, what you're trying to do is keep consistent. You know, you have to continue to find big hits. So you finished Vigil and it's, it's done really well. So then what do you have next? Then, then, then we're broadcasting Manhunt, and that did really well. And then Manhunt finishes, and what do you have next? I've sometimes talked about a schedule as being like a a hungry beast, a monster that continually needs feeding. So rather than pick out individual titles, it's it's about the fact that we've managed to to deliver a a really, really good class of, of programming all the time. That, for me, has been... The biggest achievement about finding programming, and, and nowadays we, we're buying programs usually nine to 12 months prior to delivery. So you, you, you're taking a, a, a bit of a punt on those shows. You know, there's a lot of risk involved. You're reading scripts, you're meeting producers, you're, you're working in a new way for programming that the, the stuff we're buying now is for, for Q3, Q4 next year. And, and the fact that we've, we've been able also to, to find programming a year in advance has been a 
a good thing to do. So, but that, and then when it comes down to individual shows, then it becomes a little bit more like my own favorite. So, I mean, Homeland or almost anything with Nicola Walker. I love Nicola Walker. So, <laughs> Unforgotten, I'm a split, and Scott and Bailey, all of these shows that we've had, and you see her career progress and she, she becomes better and better as an actress. Downton Abbey and Luther and, and uh, Sherlock and I mean all, all of the, the big shows from the last the last decade I suppose were pretty much have ended up on SVT. So we we've been we've been extremely lucky to to have good relationships with a lot of distributors and and managed to find a great great uh, output. Well, that's certainly worth knowing for the uh, audience out there if they're thinking about casting decisions and the Nordic region is important then. Putting Nicola Walker on the, uh, on, on the attachment <laughs> list could could be very helpful, but relationships are key, right? That's the that's the crucial component, I guess, of what you do. I think so. It, it's about and also being. Well, I was going to say being a good guy, but you you can't you can't do anything these days for, for a quick buck. You know, it is about building relationships, not not screwing people over, um, being there for them the next time. So I, 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 longevity, I think, is is quite important in what we do. Yeah, and, and that's having a bit of fun as well. You know, it's not all about deal making. It, it's also about people that you you want to work with. Mipcom was back last month on a yeah. smaller scale, but mm-hmm. uh, it was it was great. I was there, and it was great. What was your most memorable market? It could be a MIP or a MIPCOM or an LA screenings. One that really Ooh. really stood out. And do you think that they have a future that, that markets will continue to be a big part of what we do? I do hope. I mean, just as we were saying, it's, it is quite a social business that we work in. And we've, we've managed for the last 18 months to conduct ourselves remotely. But, but I think uh, face-to-face is, shouldn't be un- underestimated. So I, I hope that we continue. I mean, the, the only thing is the whole concept of a MIP and MIPCOM is that thousands of people from all over the world come to one place. And it's about it's the kind of ultimate anti-corona <laughs> concept. But if we if we can get to a point where we feel safe enough to do that, then I hope that in some form that the major markets continue. I mean, I've been going to MIP and MIPCOM for such a long time. I, I used to sell programs for, for Channel 4. And, and at the end of that, I, I would fall asleep in the taxi on the way to Nice Airport because you would be so exhausted. You meet different people, new people. It, you, you, your mind is constantly thinking about new ideas. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very creative time to be at one of these markets. Or if you go to LA and you, you see 70 pilots in a week to sit in a cinema for seven, eight hours and just see new TV programs. It's, it's a, quite an experience. By the end of the week, let's say for the, the screenings, the LA screenings, is it really hard to really focus on an individual show or an individual slate? Do they all start to blur into one? No, I think what happens is the really good shows stand up and the other ones you forget very quickly. Well, when I, when I screen, I give every show a mark out of 10. So when I, when I make, make a little note of who was in it and what it was about, and then I said, whatever, seven out of 10. And, th- and after a week and 70 pilots, there's maybe five of them which got an eight plus and an awful lot of them uh, which you forget. You know, you see, I remember when we saw the pilot of Homeland, 
and you you just had to see the next episode. You know, it, it was, and that that was the kind of it's one of the kind of magical pilots that, and they hadn't produced episode two, but you desperately wanted to see it. And based on that, we did buy the series and had it for whatever how many years they did eight years. I remember a lot of the HBO pilots. They, they would have a screening on a Sunday morning in a big cinema, and, and that was always like a, one of the, the talks of the town. What would you pick as a career highlight? If you look back, you're telling the grandkids that was yeah. that's the thing that defined me. I would say may, maybe taking SVT into the digital the digital age. We we were very much a, an old school public broadcaster. Then uh, we launched SVT Play, which has become now bigger than the, the main channel. So we had to have the rights, which uh, which allowed us to capitalize on on having this great player. So I suppose that the fact that in the last few years we've managed to to deliver box sets and, and new ways of publishing and new new consumption of, of fiction has really it's helped SVT, and I think it's it's uh, we, we we've maintained a relevance so it's just because that there are other streamers in in the nordics svt play is is very much up there and i think my little group has played quite an important part of that so this is the part of the uh, podcast where i ask my guest for their lockdown film book music choice and uh, tv tv box set what would you choose if uh, we had to hit another lockdown and uh, found ourselves confined again. Well, l- l- lucky enough, up in Sweden, we didn't have any lockdown, which which was it. it must bamboozle you. But I mean, during the whole period, we uh, everything has been open: restaurants, shops, uh, bars. So we've been extremely lucky. But but I I, I do do understand how how tough it was in the UK and other territories. When it comes to to a film, that strangely, I was thinking about this. I, I would say may, maybe a, a Hitchcock classic, a, a Rear Window, or a Strangers in a Train, or Thirty Nine Steps. I love those kind of Patricia Highsmith Hitchcockian classics. So that, those always keep me guessing. Then for a book nowadays, I, I, I used to read really a lot. I, I was a big reader, and now, now I read a lot of scripts and a, a lot of stuff online. So it would either be that, a script, or a page turner, a, a, a beach summer read. No, no Willanda or um, Yonesbo? No, nah, I'm trying to think of the, the last really great book I read. Nah, I can't, I can't, I can't think of anything there. Just a kind of crime or, or thriller. Then when it comes to me, I, I'm really, I, I like a lot of music. I, I, uh, I make a, a new uh, Spotify playlist every month, and I've done that for about 10 years. So what I do is I make up a list and I play it until everyone at home is, is fed up hearing it. But I never get rid of them. So, so what, what happens is I make up and then I go back to a list five years old and play it again. And then it feels great again. So I, I, so there's always music at home. If there was one artist that you had to put a playlist together for, who would that artist be? Probably Depeche Mode, because I can play Depeche Mode Again and again and again. Much to my wife's daughter, she doesn't like them at all. You just but can't I, get enough. You just can't get you enough. Just can't get enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but that's uh, right. Uh, yeah, but but the fish border are always good. But that, but I, I mean, I listen to a lot of contemporary music as well. Uh, you you asked about box sets. I'm really really bad at that. Once I've seen a series, it's very rare that I that I will watch it again. 
even even if I have great intentions, we 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 thought about watching Succession one and two before the new season came out, and the fact that that I have so much to see, I I, I always have a list of um, of shows, even early early cuts and things that that I have to look at. So that there's there's always um, I always have about five series on the go at any one time. Both myself and my wife, we watch a lot of TV. So both programming that I've, I've acquired, but, uh, but programming on, on the other services as well. So we, we, we consume several series a week. After all this time, TV still gets me excited. You know, I still love a good drama or I can find something and, and just be passionate about it. I, 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 I want to be evangelical and, and spread the good word. I send people lists I, I, of shows that they, they must see, but uh, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I think my lockdown media question, this is the first time that I've had a guest who wasn't locked down. So it yeah. takes on a whole new dimension. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's uh, we, we were extremely lucky or, or we had a different view on, on, on things. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Great to hear, hear about your um, career today. And of course, wishing you all the, um, the best of luck in the new role at Nent. And look forward to, um, to more Nicola Walker coming to a screen near you and many other places uh, as well. I hope so. Thanks a lot, Tony. It's great to talk.